values that change everything. You see, there are some things that are so important to a life of a church that they should affect everyone in everything. And over the last several months, I have been thinking and praying and talking with our staff and our leadership and saying, how can we name in memorable ways the core values of our church? And some of these have been true of Faith Covenant since it was planted in 1966. And some you might look at and say, this is a bit more aspirational. But over these eight weeks, you are going to hear eight statements that all contain the word every. Because we believe these are so important that they should affect every one of us and that they should influence every program, every ministry, everything that we do as a church. Now, as we go into a year where we're having a building campaign, we'll have a new building come this fall, I want to make sure that we're not just renovating the building, we're renovating the church. We're bringing revival and renewal. It's something we've been working on. So we want to make sure that the the main things stay the main things. And so today we have to start with the one that is the foundation for the other seven that you're going to hear. And when you hear it, I believe that you will immediately recognize that this has been true of our church since we were planted. And it is this. Everything centered on God's word. Everything centered, the centered on God's word. We believe that the word of God should be at the center of our life together as a church. God's word is so important, it's so vital that it should be the center of all that we do. That includes our worship services, our children, our youth, our Sunday school classes, our small groups, our adult discipleship, our our worship teams. Everything that we do should be centered on the word of God. It should affect everything. Everything centered on God's word is at the heart of what it means to be a part of this movement called the Covenant Church. It started as this this revival, renewal movement of people who read the word of God together. They were called, uh, kind of in a critical way, they were called the readers. Because what they were doing all the time was reading God's word together. So that's what they were accused of doing. And we should be able to be accused of the same today, shall we not? There are so many scriptures that we could discuss today, but I'm going to take hopefully what is a familiar one to us and help help us remember why is this so vital So I invite you to turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 14, going through chapter 4, verse 4. And I would really urge you to follow along in your Bible. I believe it's really important maybe even to have your own Bible to bring with you to church, to highlight it, to mark it up, and to check the scripture for yourself. Do you remember in Acts where it said the Bereans were of more noble character Because they examined the scriptures to see what the Apostle Paul was teaching them to make sure that what he was teaching was true. You ever wonder why there isn't a letter to the Bereans? Maybe because they were in the word of God. They didn't need any other instruction because they were examining the scriptures for themselves. We should be Bereans who are examining the scriptures. So I urge you, follow along with me as we look at this text. And as you're turning there, a little context. The Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy near the end of his life. This is probably the last letter that he ever wrote. And it contains some of his most important instructions to his young mentee, the pastor Timothy. And it contains some of his most important instructions about God's word. And if you look a little bit previously to our text, you'll notice that Paul had just warned Timothy that there will be false teachers who arise in the church and that sin is going to greatly increase. And because of these things, persecution is going to happen. He will experience suffering, which Paul did himself. But he stayed faithful and he wanted to make sure that Timothy and those after him would persevere despite the opposition of the people around him. 
And so this is why when we get to verse 14, you can picture Paul urging from prison, wondering what will happen to his own, his whole life's work. He had abandoned everything to follow Christ. He had abandoned his family. He gave up everything to follow Jesus, and now he wants to make sure that what he has given his life to will pass on to the next generation. So he says to Timothy, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This morning, let's pause there. This morning, I want to give you four truths about God's word from this passage. Number one is this. God's word leads us to trust Jesus. God's word leads us to trust Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, in spite of all the opposition around you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Why? Because you know the people you have learned it from, they are those you trust the most. You see, Paul had already reminded Timothy of something back in chapter 1. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, I just want to take just a second, an aside here, to talk to the grandparents in the room. You can have a significant eternal impact on your grandchildren. You can be a Lois to an up-and-coming Timothy. You can be someone who passes on the faith. You see, Lois, she passed on her faith to her grandson. So she talked about Jesus. She talked about the Holy Scriptures with her grandson. You can be a Lois to the next generation. So when you're with your grandkids, make sure you tell them about why you follow Jesus. Make sure you tell them about what God has done in your life. Make sure you tell them why church and the Word is important to you. Make sure you pass on those testimonies, those experiences, those God moments in your life. Because when they go through that period where they're doubting, where they're wondering, is this whole thing true or is it made up? Well, they say, well, you know, I don't know about all that stuff, but I know my grandmother Lois really believed. I know my grandmother Bonnie really believed. I know my grandmother Jean really believed. I know my grandmother Sally really believed. And they will say, gosh, I don't know about that, but I can trust that they knew Jesus Christ, and I can lean upon that. And the same goes for the mothers and the fathers. Be a Eunice, be a Lois. Pass on your faith to your kids. Okay, that one was for free. That had nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. (laughs) See, Timothy was brought up in the faith. He had learned it from his mother, his grandmother, and he learned it from the Apostle Paul himself. Can you imagine having a better mentor than the Apostle Paul? Gosh. But more important than all that, at the center was that Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures, which made him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible, Paul says, leads us to trust Jesus. Friends, we care so much about this book because this book leads us to Jesus Christ. The the written word leads us to the living word. The word of God leads us to the Son of God. That's why this book is so important. Martin Luther said, kind of riffing off the themes of Christmas, he says, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. You find Jesus when you read this book. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. He said to the Pharisees, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And you remember when he was on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, the the disciples who didn't recognize him on the road, he had to explain to them 
Starting with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And if you've already started our Bible reading plan, you read Matthew 1 this week. And you hear all these crazy names, this genealogy in Matthew 1. But it's this, Matthew's pointing to this theme. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. It's the exile. All of this is finding its climax and purpose in Jesus Christ. The whole Bible leads us to Jesus. So the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels are about Jesus. And the rest of the New Testament is what his apostles taught about what it means to follow Jesus. So it's all about Jesus. And because of this, I would say besides maybe prayer, the Bible might be our greatest aid in evangelism. In fact, maybe this Bible reading plan we're doing, it, may be, it might not even be for you. Maybe it's for somebody else. And say, would you just consider reading the Gospels with me? I'm reading one chapter out of the New Testament a day. I would love to talk with you about it sometime. Because if we can get people to read about Jesus for themselves, the Holy Spirit's going to do the work. Because this word is meant to lead us to trust in Christ. To learn about Christ and to grow in Christ. And if we are disciples of Jesus, then shouldn't the word of God be at the center of our lives and at the center of our church? We believe it should. We believe it should. God's word leads us to trust in Jesus. Number two, God's word teaches us what is true. Chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul continues this. He says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Friends, the Bible is different than any other book on planet Earth. It is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. In fact, again, I'll quote, I'll quote our Bible reading plan again. You just read Genesis 2, where God takes the dust of the ground, and he, what does he do with a man? He, he breathes the breath of life into the dust, and the man becomes a living being. Because of that, human beings, we are different than any other living thing on planet Earth. We're different than the plants. We're different from the animals because we have the breath of God animating and enlivening us and, and being in us. And in the same way, God has breathed out his word, this book, and he enlivens it through his Holy Spirit. So because of that, the Bible is no ordinary book. It is God's word. It's his word to humanity. And so in all things... It teaches us what is true because it's from God himself. So it teaches us what is true about God, about ourselves, about our world, about our purpose, about why we are here, about how we are to live, what we are supposed to do. Friends, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways you can get information today. We're in the information technological age, Gary. <laughs> We're in the technological age. You can get anything. You got Wikipedia. You got Google you got competing news networks that tell you all kinds of different information. We have powerful companies suggesting to us in subliminal ways what we ought to do and think and believe. And the question is, amidst all the information out there, how can you know what to believe? How can you know what is true? What foundation will you build your life on? Friends, here is your foundation. You're looking for what to build your life on. What is truth in this world? It is the word of God. It is the only book, it is the only thing that has the authority of God's very breath, God's very word behind it. Nothing else is like this book. And this is what drove Martin Luther to take a stand against the Catholic Church in the beginning period of the Reformation. Because when he looked at scripture and he looked at what was being taught, he said, you know, this doesn't line up. Someone needs to take a stand against these, these abuses, these indulgences, because they are not taught in the word of God. 
We need to go back to the scripture as the primary authority in the church, nothing else. And the covenant church has roots in this reformation, the Protestant reformation. So when the covenant put together their constitution of how, how we exist together, they said this, the Holy Scripture, the Old and New Testament is the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. In other words, the whole Bible is the word of God, not just parts of it, all of it. And it's the perfect rule. It's how we measure, it's how we discern what we believe, that's our faith, what the church teaches, that's our doctrine, and how we live, that's our conduct. I like what Elizabeth Elliot said about the Bible. She said this, The word of God I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. It's a straight edge. It's the rule. It's how we measure what we ought to think, believe, and do. So the Bible will confront us with what is true. So it corrects us when we are wrong, and it leads us in the way of grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And if we truly believe that the Bible is God's word, then we will consider it true in whatever it teaches us. This is our foundation. This is our center. Everything needs to be centered on God's word. So God's word teaches us what is true. Number three, God's word transforms us to be like Jesus. It transforms us to be like Jesus. The Apostle Paul continues, he says, The Bible is, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Friends, God's aim is that through the Holy Spirit, he would transform you to be like Jesus Christ. So all these things that Paul says the scripture does, they have as their goal our conformity to the character of Christ. So when scripture teaches us, it teaches us the truth about Jesus so we can become like Jesus. When it rebukes us or corrects us, it's like holding up a mirror so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's meant to transform us. So sometimes when we read the Bible, it doesn't make you feel good all the time. Because it's like holding up a mirror and seeing all the ugliness that is in us. It's like God, you know, the Holy Spirit, he will take the Bible like a sculptor takes a chisel. And he's chiseling at the parts of us that don't look like Christ. He's chiseling out those parts with the word of God so that we would be conformed to his image. So it improves us. It trains us in righteousness. It teaches us how to live rightly with God and rightly with others. So friends, the Bible is not just for your information. It's for your transformation. The Bible has authority, but it also has power. It teaches and it forms. It is grace and it is truth. Not only do we come out of the Reformation movement, we come out of the Pietist movement, this renewal movement that believed that the Bible was not just, again, for our information, but it was meant to transform us from the inside out. It would have an effect on our lives. So that what people call the father of Pietism, Philip Jacob Spainer, he said this about the Bible. He said, Thought should be given to a more extensive use of the word of God among us. We know that by nature we have no good in us, if there is to be any good in us, it must be brought about by God. To this end, the word of God is the powerful means, since faith must be enkindled through the gospel. The more at home the word of God is among us, the more we shall bring about faith and its fruits. Do you want to grow in Christ? Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let it dwell among the church richly, because it is the powerful means by which we are transformed. So nothing, I believe, nothing will improve 
your life in Christ more than regular reading of the Bible. In fact, this is, this is being confirmed by research. Though I think it's funny that we needed research to confirm this because we've known this for centuries. Uh, but Lifeway Research, a uh, Christian organization, they just did one of the biggest studies on discipleship, thousands of people in, in churches. And they, came, they reported back to us by saying that reading the Bible was the number one predictor of spiritual growth. It was the number one of all the disciplines, all the things that you could, you could measure, it was the number one. And it was the only spiritual discipline that had an effect on every other area they were measuring. Things like giving and worship and church attendance and evangelism. So for example, giving is a good spiritual discipline, but it may not affect how much you read the Bible. But conversely, reading the Bible will likely affect when and how much you give. Reading the Bible will affect how much you witness. Reading the Bible will affect you when you come to worship. It will have a transformative effect on everything you do. Again, Martin Luther says, Nothing is more effectual against the devil, the world, the flesh, and all evil thoughts than to occupy oneself with the word of God. Talk about it and meditate on it. Nothing is more effectual. Nothing. We need God's word at the center of our lives because it's the most powerful means to transform us to become like Christ so that we live out our purpose and reflect the image of our creator. Finally, number four this morning, God's word trains us for ministry. God's word trains us for ministry. What purpose is all this Bible reading for? Why are we engaging the Bible? Paul says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, being a reader of God's word, it's not just about us, although it does comfort us, it does help us, but it's about, us. It's about others. It's about serving others. All discipleship, all spiritual formation should lead us to become people who live for the sake of others. It's no surprise. If the Bible transforms us to be like Jesus, shouldn't we become like the one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And Paul says that the Bible will thoroughly equip us for every good work. Now, in the Greek, this thoroughly equipped phrase, this means someone who is perfectly suited to the task. And immediately what came to mind for me when I thought about someone who was perfectly suited, for some reason, I just thought about Michael Phelps. <laughs> it just came to my mind. If you remember the 2008 Summer Olympics, when he won eight gold medals, a world record still, and it was amazing. You had the commentators talking about Michael Phelps. It's like this guy was perfectly designed to swim. His hands, his fingers are so long, his, his torso is just the perfect length. Everything in his life, his training, his genes, his nutrition, was designed to perfectly suit Michael Phelps to swim. Friends, in the same way, the Bible will so chisel you, the Bible will so transform you, that you will become perfectly suited to carry out the ministry that God calls you to do. Do you want to be thoroughly equipped to help others? And we need the word of God in our lives. Because when people come to you for help, when they come to you for encouragement, they don't, want, they don't need just your words, they need the truth of God's word to comfort them. When people come to us asking for advice or asking for prayer, asking for help, let the word of God spill out of us so that we can be of help to those in need. Scripture will perfectly train you to make an impact on this world for Jesus. So if we saturate our lives with Scripture, our character will be improved, how we love, how we serve, how we give will all be shaped by the word of God 
And if we are equipped for, if we are equipped for ministry to others through the Bible, then shouldn't we make the Bible the center of the ministry of the church? That's how we're trained to serve each other, is through the Bible. We need everything centered on God's Word. I believe that the Bible has centripetal force. Now, I'm getting out of my uh, lane here a little bit. I don't know anything about physics, really. But I have heard from Wikipedia, one of those sources I go to, that, uh, that centripetal force means a force that acts on a body moving in a circular path and is directed toward the center around which the body is moving. Now, an example of this would be the satellites that revolve around our planet, or perhaps you can think the earth going around the sun. You see, there is a force in the center that is pulling the satellites into the orbit of the planet that keeps them going around and around and around the center. In the same way, when you put the word of God at the center of the church, it will be a centripetal force that keeps the body of Christ centered around God's truth, centered around the truth of Jesus Christ, centered around transformation and training for ministry. Don't you want that? I do. We need the Bible at the center. There are a lot of things that we do here to keep the Bible at the center. Our worship services are centered on the Bible. We preach from the Bible. We teach from the Bible. Our songs are full of scripture and scriptural themes. Our children and youth are taught from the Bible. Our confirmation kids are in scripture all the time. Their journals keep them in scripture each weekday as they study. And there are a lot of things that we can do to make sure that we keep everything centered on God's word. But I believe the most important thing that a covenant church, that really any church can do, is to read scripture together. To read scripture together. To have as many people as possible put the Bible at the center of their own lives in their personal devotions, and not just to do it themselves, but to do it together. And this is why we launched our two-year Bible reading initiative. This plan, so you know, is it's adapted by a Scottish pastor. Some of you might like that. Robert Murray McShane is his name, from the early 1800s. And he identified several benefits in having a church-wide scripture reading program. And I'll go over them briefly. It's on the screen for you. He said that this would benefit the church in several ways. One, reading of the entire Bible in an orderly manner over the course of a year, or for us, two years. Number two, no wasting of time deciding what portion of scripture to be read each day. It's already laid out for you. Number three, improved spiritual conversations between parents and children, probably at the dinner table. Number four, improved conversation between friends, and that would include our small groups, our gatherings, our community groups. Number five, a greater opportunity for pastors to reference passages of the Bible in their praying and preaching and an individual conversation with church members who have just read those same passages. I've already quoted from the Bible plan, Bible plan twice today, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've already had in like five days with members of our church. It's, it's already improved. It's amazing. And number six, the strength and bond of Christian love and unity among Christians who are reading the scriptures together. Just doing stuff together just brings unity and love among us as we, as we pursue the same thing. And this can help us in that way. And in the, in the years since 1842, the, the McShane Bible reading plan has become, has become one of the most used in the world. Now, one of the drawbacks that Pastor McShane identified was that this, may, this might get too heavy a burden for people to carry. And we certainly don't want that to happen for any of us. So actually, we're only doing half of the plan that he came up with because it's not about just checking the box, as satisfying as that is. 
It's about connecting with the author of the book. So we want to make it sustainable and doable for you as possible so that it becomes a regular habit in your life that this is something that we're constantly doing. It's at the center. It's not just an initiative for this time. This is something that we should always be engaging with, a regular habit in our lives. Every member of our church, it's a value that that should affect all of us, every one of us. So we should read it consistently, faithfully, in season and out of season. Let the word dwell among us richly. Friends, we don't ever outgrow our need for scripture, as you know. The Holy Spirit will often surprise you with fresh insights for the season you're in. So I'm going to urge every one of you to read the Bible with us, to read the Bible with me. I'm reading it, I'm doing it, and I encourage you to join me. And when I announced this a few weeks ago, not all of you are here, so I want to make sure that you have the opportunity. Uh, I think one reason I was able to complete a marathon, never having done one before, was because I had made a public commitment. I told all of you, I told my family that I was running a marathon. And when the days got hard, when I didn't want to get up and run, there was no way I wasn't going to do it because I would be, looks like such a fool to everybody else. I was committed to doing it because I made a public commitment. It kept me accountable to do it when I didn't want to do it. In the same way, I'm going to ask you to make yourselves accountable to the church and let us know you're joining with us on this plan. And so if you haven't done this already, would you just let us know if you want to join? On the back of your connect card,